0: I love my garden, and I quite enjoy some parts of gardening, too. I know my ceanothus from my calistamine and my wigelia from my wisteria. And I guess I learnt about gardening almost by osmosis. Um, When I was very young, we'd travel back from our family holidays to the West Country, um, and I was in the back of the car and I had new shrubs and trees in my ears, coming out of my ears. I was surrounded by them. And and I think my dear parents would be very proud of the fact that I now have taken on their love of gardening, albeit in a somewhat smaller scale, in my London garden. Um, However, unlike them, I am very impatient. There's a surprise I hear you mutter to those that know me, particularly Anna on the second row there. Um, I've been known to say out loud to a hydrangea that was clearly rather perturbed about having been moved. If you don't flower next year, it is curtains for you. Ridiculous, I know, but can I just say it worked and the following year, (laughs) seriously, the following year we had the best crop we've ever had and it continues to flourish. Likewise, my massive array of orchids, which were 32 at the last count, are given every opportunity to reflower. There's even a special spot by the window to encourage them to do this. And nine times out of ten, they do. However, I do get the odd weedy specimen, or one that shows no inclination to reshoot whatsoever, and I'm pretty ruthless. In the green bag they go without a backward glance. In fact, I have to say, this morning, two more in the green bag. So actually, my count is now 30, not 32. So as I read the passage for today's sermon, I was there with the vine owner, all for getting rid of that barren fig tree. I'm going to start by putting this parable in context. Just before Jesus tells the parable, he comments on a situation that's been brought to his attention where some Galileans had been killed by Pilate and their blood um, mixed with sacrifices. And another situation where 18 people had died when a tower fell on them and killed them. And Jesus said to those around him, do you think that they were more guilty than others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then, as is so often the case, Jesus immediately goes on to illustrate his teaching message, in this case repentance, with a parable. Now there are two human characters in this parable. Firstly, we have the owner of the vineyard, who is understandably annoyed that his tree is not producing any fruit. He says, for three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Now, I'm no expert in the cultivation of fig trees, but apparently they take three years before they can be, before they're mature enough to produce any fruit at all. So that would indicate that this tree is already six years old. So that's quite a long time in fig tree years to not produce anything, to be watered and produce nothing. So I guess asking for it to be cut down doesn't seem unreasonable, particularly as it's been depleting the soil of the vineyard. I certainly wouldn't have given it that long, I can tell you. Just as a matter of interest, it's also, um, it's apparently quite usual in the the horticultural methods of those time to plant a variety of fruit trees in vineyards. You can see you're getting a whole... It's a bit like being on gardener's question time here, isn't it? Character number two, the vine dresser, the man who cared for the vineyard, he intervened at this point with a plea for patience. He wanted to give the fig tree one more year to see if it would bear fruit. However, he didn't just intend to leave it, did he, and see what happened. He said he would dig around it and fertilize it. Then, if after all this care and attention, it still didn't bear fruit, then it would be cut down. It's interesting to note here that the owner of the vineyard didn't take much persuading to give the tree just that one more chance to bear fruit. He seems quite happy with the solution. So, in this parable, who exactly is the owner of the vineyard and who is the vine dresser? From the different parables of Jesus, we know that the owner of the vineyard is God Himself. He is the one who can decide on the fate of the fig tree and who is deeply disappointed by the lack of fruit. More of that in a minute. So, who then is the vine dresser? This is also pretty easy to decipher, isn't it? The vine dresser intercedes on behalf of the fig tree, asks for a stay of execution for the tree. The vine dresser is the servant who is prepared to feed and tend to the tree to help it bear fruit. Sounds rather like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, who is the mediator between God and man. Jesus who pleads for mercy for the tree as well as for us. And the father was willing to grant it, up to a point. The third character in this parable is the fig tree itself. And as in other Bible passages, the fig tree here is representative of Israel and the Jewish nation. This fig tree had a privileged position. It was in a fertile vineyard. It was well cared for. Likewise, God had placed the people of Israel in a privileged and favoured position. He had lavished care on them. And not surprisingly, he expected the fig tree, the people of Israel, to bear fruit. Now, more horticultural words of wisdom coming up. Did you know that the fig tree is in fact one of the most fruitful trees that exists? It can produce for 10 months of the year producing up to three crops so Jesus seems to have chosen the fig tree for this parable to make the point that what should have been the most fruitful of nations has turned out not to be fruitful at all the chosen nation was very privileged but with that privilege came responsibility the responsibility to bear fruit Jesus is warning them that God is running out of patience and that he will execute his judgment shortly. And this is a similar warning to the one given to the Jewish people by John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 verse 9. John says, The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The warning is, hurry up guys and produce fruit because time is running out. Be prepared as none of us know the exact moment that we'll be asked to give an account of ourselves. If you recall last week's parable of the foolish rich man, he was busy trying to build new stores for all of that grain and God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. None of us know. So what exactly is this fruit that the people of the Israel are expected to produce? What does it look like? As I mentioned earlier, Jesus tells this parable in the context of people coming to him with a report of two recent disasters in Jerusalem. The parable is a warning to Jesus' audience of the judgment that will come to them if they fail to repent. And to be honest, it's a pretty blunt warning. He's saying to them that they could die at any moment, just like those who perished when the tower fell on them, and that they'd better make sure that they've repented of their previous ways and changed for the better, or it's the ax for them. But how do we know if someone is really repenting and asking for forgiveness of their sins? Repentance isn't really a very fashionable word today, but at its root, it delivers change. It isn't just saying sorry, it goes much further. To repent is to stop doing something that is not productive or even harmful and turn around and follow a path that is productive. Biblically, and the way that Jesus meant it here, it means to stop breaking the law of God, and start obeying the law of God. In Luke 3 verse 8, just before the other passage I I read from, John tells the people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, change and do things differently. He goes on, John goes on to be a bit more specific. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. He says to the tax collectors, don't collect any more than you're required to. To the soldiers, he said, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In other words, change from your current ways and obey God's law. I'm sure we know in Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 22, we we know of the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And the Apostle Paul explains that these qualities can be produced by God through our lives when we repent. When we change and allow our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit. That sounds like good fruit to me. This is the fruit that God expects of the people of Israel. And this is the fruit that God expects from us. Writing this talk has certainly made me examine my own fruit production, quite honestly. I wonder if God were to come and examine my life today... If he'd be disappointed that yet another year had passed by without fruit. And if so, I wonder how long it would be before he declares, it's time to cut that Ruth tree down. One day, possibly very soon, every one of us will have our lives examined by God to see if there is fruit there. And if he finds nothing, the message is very clear from this passage it's the axe. And this seems a rather harsh solution and perhaps quite difficult to align with the merciful, compassionate God that we know and love and trust. And it's true, God is patient and loving. He gives us all a second, a third, a fourth, a thousandth chance, doesn't he? I remember when I was spurred on by R.T. Kendall at New Wine to read my Bible cover to cover. I was quite amazed and quite shocked, actually, by how many times in the Old Testament the chosen people went off the rails. They disobeyed God. They worshipped idols. They did the exact opposite of what they were told to do. And they did this time and time and time again. And God forgave them time and time and time again, as he does us. But there were also times when God lost his patience with them and was justifiably angry. He banished them to the desert, handed them over to the Babylonians for 70 years. He finally lost patience with them. He will with us as well, as he will with the fig tree. Jesus' message is crystal clear. God is a God of love, but he's a God of judgment too. But this parable is not a fait accompli. It's a word of warning to the Jewish people and a warning to us now. Unless you repent, Jesus says, unless you change, unless you become fruitful, then, like the barren fig tree, you will be cut down. However, there is hope. There's hope in the shape of the vine dresser who will plead for the tree, pleads for a stay of execution, says he will feed and tender and nurture the tree. The good news is that Jesus is on our side, he wants us to succeed. He is patient with us, he is so patient with us. He grants us time to change. He grants us time to bear fruit. He sent the Holy Spirit in his place to be with us, to give us the strength required for that change. And it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it to know in the end that we'll produce that amazing fruit that Paul talked about it's worth it to know that in the end we will be with our heavenly Father in heaven for all eternity, singing his praises. That's why we produce fruit. That's the good news of the gospel, that if we produce this fruit, if we obey God's law, we produce that fruit, then it's quite clear that heaven is our destination. None of us know, however, how much time we have. So I guess Jesus' message to his audience then and to us now is, we'd better get a move on. Amen.